Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Rob. And welcome to episode 32 of the Screen Bucket Podcast. Yes, 32 in. What have we got today? Well, we've got the response to my film selection from last time. Yes. Which was Breath. Breath. And Breath translated into Total Recall. Yes. The 1990 version, obviously. Arnie, Paul Verhoeven directing. Yes. What a film. Sharon Stone as the as the wife. That dude from Starship Troopers as <laughs> worst uh, bad guy ever. Yep. Michael Ironside. Classic. And Ronnie Cox as Copenhagen, the bad, super bad guy. Yes. Who wonderful. we didn't mention in the show. No. But he was more forgettable than... Ironside. He was. He was a... In roles of villain, he was bad, but he wasn't that bad. No. He was worse in Robocop. Could have been badder. Yes. Ronnie Cox obviously uh, famously played the villain in everything, but not in Star Trek Next Generation. He comes in as a villain. I need to clarify, because I go hard into Star Trek later on, (laughs) because I'm not the biggest fan, but it's just your Raph of Khan choice, mate. Raph of Khan is the best film. Ugh. From Star Trek. Yes. Well, <laughs> moving on. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yes, indeed. Uh, what else have we got? So uh, we go into Fortnite Schmort Night. There's a lot of grumbling from the sequel subjects, mm-hmm. which um, I'm sure many of you will agree with, especially with concerns to the likes of A Nightmare on Elm Street <clears throat> and to Robocop. <clears throat> um, we're going to also dissect each other's top 50 movies. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, which we will also at some point be posting on on the web. Yes. Yeah. 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 Good show. Um, anything else? No. I think we've got some banging tunes this time. Do you reckon? Oh, we, we can't talk about that. Yeah, we can't talk about that. If you do want to hear the full show with the music, do head over to North Arts Radio, and I think they're keeping on top of the uh, back catalogue now. Yeah. So you should be able to hear the show there. Uh, otherwise, tune in to the repeat on Thursday after this is released. If you listen to it back in the past, you can't. Oh, no. Oh, confusion. Oh. Time travel. What are we <laughs> going to do? www.northartsradio.com is the place to go to hear the show properly. But for now, we'll just keep to the chatty bits. Yes. And let's get started. Yes, yeah, do it. Cool. While on the set, hope you got your popcorn and large soda ready because you're listening to Scream Bucket with Adam and Rob. Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Rob. And welcome to the brand new Screen Bucket. Yes, we're over halfway through November. Well, we're right near the end of November. Mmm, it's getting close now. Christmas looms. Uh, but we're not going to talk about Christmas today, are we? No, we're definitely not. No. Because it's not December yet. It's not December yet. There are no decorations. There are no Christmas songs. Absolutely. Yes. And there will never be. Yes, there will. Uh. Oh, yes. I said to Adam earlier that one day him and Josh are going to wake up in our flat and there will be tinsel and there will be a crap trick Christmas tree and it'll be lovely and tacky and wonderful and festive. I just threw up a bit in my mouth. And it's not allowed to creep a millimetre into your room. No. That's the, it's fine. But there is a line. There is a line to be... There's a division. The anti-Christmas line. Yes. I'm going to build a wall. Oh, God. After Halloween, after the joint festiveness of Halloween. Yeah. I now have one Scrooge. I, I assume Josh is just indifferent. Uh, mostly. Okay. Yeah. I think he's opposed to decorations, though, just as oh, much as me. Yes. But then Easter. I like Easter. Well, how a little would you... bunny rabbit. Lots of crucifixes. Yeah, chocolate smeared on the walls. Right. <laughs> a, a lunatic asylum of, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. of Easter joy. Mm, yes. But yes, what have we got on the show tonight? 
Well, um, we're reviewing um, a classic 80s much-loved film starring a certain muscular Austrian. Mm-hmm. We have the usual Fortnite schmort night. And we're also dissecting each other's top 50 lists. Yeah, so last show, Rob was baffled by the fact I didn't have a top favourite film off the top of my head. Mm. But since then, we've developed lists of 50 favourite films. And that's much easier for me. Yeah. Because I've got loads of it. Depends what mood I'm in, depends what theme and what time of year it is and all that sort of stuff. Yes. So that's that. So that's, that's I'm looking forward to that. Yes. Um, and also, so I don't know if you guys remember last week, we occasionally, when we don't have a clue about what film we're going to do next week, Adam, you came up with an idea where one of us gets a book and goes through the pages until mm-hmm. the other one says stop. Yep. Then they read down the page until the person says stop again. Yep. On a sentence, then on a word. From that random word... We pick a film. Yes. What happened this last week? It was my turn to pick, because you did it last time, way back in the past. I got the word breath. Yes. <sighs> so, yes. So, I took it away. Without telling Rob, I revealed it on a promo video you may have seen. The film I chose was Total Recall. Yes. And we'll go into why Breath has relevance to Total Recall. I yeah. assume you might be able to work it out if you've seen it. Mm, yes, I think it's uh, it's pretty well known, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, It's one of Arnie's silliest uh, films. But yeah, we'll, we'll cover that in depth later on. Yes. What have you been watching this uh, past fortnight? Well, I've been watching quite heavily. I can't remember if I was getting into it last show. But Bob's Burgers on oh, Amazon yes. Prime. Oh, oh. I've watched it before and I, I didn't get into it, but now I've sort of, I don't know if I've got over a hurdle or something, but I'm really enjoying it. It seems like it's a very good thing to watch if you're a movie fan. It seems to parody an awful lot of stuff. Yeah, so I think when I watched it before, I obviously didn't see that those episodes, but Bob's Burgers is heavily, the only thing I can compare it to would be like Community or, or Space Steven, where it just a film reference just happens. Right. They don't set out and go, oh, oh this is my biggest pet peeve from Big Bang Theory oh it's that like what Yoda says in Star Wars Empire Strikes but they don't call it out oh I haven't been obsessed about this since my Yu-Gi-Oh collection <laughs> yeah exactly so it's yeah. things just happen so there's one episode I showed you uh, bits of which was uh, there, there was a movie filmed in the town they, they are in right involving a giant mechanical fish a shark and it was like this ridiculous, crap, awful film. Um, but as the film goes on, the the mechanical shark goes gets loose, and they try and hunt it down, and it becomes Jaws. Brilliant, of course. What, and, what else? And they've even got the scenes. They've got the the town meeting. They've got the guys scratching the the blackboard. Yeah, it's all. The, it's, yeah, it's just very silly. And at one point, they even do a line from Jaws, and they go, "Really? <laughs> uh, you know, it's yeah, it's great." And there's one episode as well I watched the other day where one of the characters gets hooked on espresso and through a whole range of ridiculous accidental things ends up seeing a baby crawling across the ceiling because she's so hooked on caffeine. A la train spotting. Yes. Genius. Wonderful. Absolutely brilliant. How about you? What have you been up to? Um, well, this week my eyes have been stuck on a screen involving little pocket monsters that you catch in little <sighs> balls and in prison. Yes. Some people may know it as Pokemon. Um, we do talk Others? About- what would others call it? Pocket Monster! <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I've been um, a lifelong Pokemon super fan. Mm-hmm. I've got every game. I unabashedly, unashamedly, it is a part of me. Mm. Uh, this game was the first home console mainline game edition. And it can't be said that it's not a little bit disappointing. Oh no! Yeah. Um, so it's a beautiful game. Um, it's really fun. The core gameplay's still there. But, like, plot-wise, I don't know if this is just my brain starting to rot with age, but I don't really know what's going on. Oh, no. There is a, with the other games, there seems to be a plot where you know who's evil at the start, and you know what the overriding problem with the um, area is. Yeah. Like, you know, there's something going on. There's a team trying to destroy the universe or whatever the hell. And you know what you're meant to do and who the bad guy is and what problems can arise if this Pokemon is awakened or whatever. In this one, I don't know what's going on. Hmm. And, but, having said that, the core gameplay's still there. It's still really fun. I haven't stopped playing it since Friday. No, Um, you haven't. In terms of TV, um, I finally got around to watching the end of the effing world, Channel Mm. 4. Um, I still need to watch this. And I completely rinsed it in the space of two days. The first series is absolutely phenomenal. Um, it drops off in the second series a bit. I won't, no spoilers, but it's not as good as the first series. No, it's never um, going to be, is it? So the leads are Alex Lawfer, who people will obviously recognise from Black Mirror and Ghost Stories. Yeah. Very accomplished actor. I think he's 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 got a big future ahead huge, of him. He's incredible. His creepiness is just a special kind of creepiness. Well, he's creepy and can also play lovable. and Yeah. Like, in I think in most things I know him from, he comes across as... Someone that I would be friends with, yeah. and that's why it's shocking when he's something else. I agree. Yeah, Jessica Barden plays Alyssa, and she is absolutely hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her stone-faced expression of "I hate what's going on. Yeah. This is this is rubbish." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is every time it cracks me up. So you know, the second series is still definitely worth a watch. Not as fast-paced as the first, but yeah. Um, did you ever see Submarine? No. By Richard Iowardi? No. It's, that will come up on my list later on in the show. But Submarine and End of the Effing World, the the setup's exactly the same. Mm. It's really weird. And I don't know, because End of the Effing World is a comic, isn't it? I've got no idea. I think it was a web comic or something. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a bit, oh, it was very dark. Um, came from the emo subculture, I think, a little bit. But... I don't know if there's a connection between the two. Submarine's an original thing, I believe. Right. Um, about a loner weirdo boy falling for a sociopathic girl, I guess is the best way to describe it. Right. And it's like a love story of faintly spectrum boy and wildcat. Okay, right. And Because I've seen the first episode end of the different world ages ago. Um, I remember thinking this is exactly the same. Mm. Oh, so, it's yeah. totally that. Yeah. So yeah, it'd be interesting good. to see if there's a connection. And if anyone hasn't seen Submarine, go see Submarine and see if you can. I will watch that. Notice yeah, it. Yeah. Definitely. Yes. Well. Okay. Awesome. Well, should we start with a song from End of the Effing World? Yes. Let's start with a song uh, from the End of the Effing World, um, and that's Never by Larry Chance and the Earls. Yeah. I'm just a sweet scream bucket. And that was My Friend Dario by Vitalik. Nice. Yeah. You would have heard that on games and things. I just quite like it. It's good. It is good. Now, I saw something cool. 
Go on. Last Friday, I saw Ghost Stories and the West End. The West End? Whereabouts in the West End? Uh, Ambassador Theatre. Right. Um, near Leicester Square. Absolutely awesome. I've probably gone on about this before in previous shows. I love Ghost Stories, the film. It came out in 2018. I think I reviewed it, even. Um, absolutely love it. It's an anthology. It's equal parts dark, dark comedy and spooky. Spooky, spooky. Spooky. And you like it as well, don't you? Oh, I loved film? it, yeah, it's brilliant. Mm. Now, it was based on a West End play. It was, I think it was off by the time the film came out. But since the film did really well, they brought it back. And here is the blurb. So it's writ- written by Jeremy Dyson from the League of Gentlemen. He's the unseen League member. And Andy Nyman, who was in the film. And, may I mention, really liked our video. Yeah. Really yeah. liked our video. He's great. Our he, 31 Days of Horror video about ghost stories, he uh, he loved it. So Yes, 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 yes. Shove that in there? Yeah. <laughs> um, so here's the, here's the blurb. There's something dark lurking in the theatre. Enter a nightmarish world full of thrilling twists and turns where all your deepest fears and disturbing thoughts are imagined live on stage. A fully sensory and electrifying encounter. Ghost Stories is the ultimate twisted love letter to horror and an edge-of-the-seat theatrical experience like no other. Be it phantoms, poltergeists, or simply a bump in the night, let's play a game with fear. Can I just say, watching you try and read that blurb and speak into the microphone at the same time was just as terrifying as ghost stories. (laughs) Yes, and it ends with, are you brave enough to book? Ooh. Wow. Yeah, ghost stories, uh, it's something where you can't, you're not supposed, they tell you not to reveal the secrets, so I won't reveal the secrets. Uh, but it's it's quite an intimate sort of theatre. I think the theatre's quite small, and I think deliberately so. You are tucked in. Um, and it's presented as a lecture about fear. Right. Uh, and through that, um, ghost stories, and then we see these three ghost stories that are particularly important to the main character. Same as the film-ish. Uh each one's got its own kind of setting and tone, but there's a few similarities as well. For people who've seen the film, it's basically the same. If anything, I preferred the film. Mm. Is that because you saw it first, or do you think you just like how it was presented? Possibly because I saw it first. I'm also more of a film guy than a theatre guy. Right, of course. And that might be an element to it. I think the film goes deeper, Right. and I think it benefits from having a soundtrack. Of course. You know, stuff like that. Um, what is really good about the show is that it's um, it's got some magic going on. There's illusions. So that builds the stage performance quite well. Some are better than others, but it's it's the sort of... It's the Sam Raimi thing of having people lift up in the, the thing and you don't, you don't really see it coming and... The, oh, yeah. Are we going to take this wonderful moment to embarrass our lovely actor, Blake Hayden? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. So what happens? So, there's one bit. So I'd say the the stage show, which, um, yeah, this is the other thing as well. It's startling. Right. There's lots of loud noises and bright lights. Okay. And there's one the one moment when uh, something very unexpected happens, and it, it there's an interesting tone shift from comedy to horror really, really quickly. And in that moment, everyone jumped. Like right. You could feel the chairs move. Blake, who plays uh, Dan in Quaggers, the film we've been banging on about all year, uh, let out a little, 
what's the best way to describe a wibbling squeak? Which he was very embarrassed about. And he said before, he's been scared and he jumps at things. Never before has he felt the need to have his head in his hands. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, funny. Good. So it, it's awesome seeing that when you look around, you people going, "Oh no!" The 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 girls to my right were spent the entire one terrified, like hiding under coats. Going, no, 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 no. Interestingly, in the theatre, people seem to be talking quite a lot. Really? Yeah. Rude. Mm. Annoying. Interesting because the it is presented quite informally, like the setup of the show. When the when the spooky bits aren't happening, it's kind of a conversation between the actor and the audience. Right. So you are encouraged to put your hands up and stuff, and that seemed to make people just be talking. Right. And it felt really weird, but it didn't it didn't interrupt anything. But this entire time, the girls on my right like, oh no, oh no, I'm so scared, oh, I'm amazing. so scared. Yes. So but yeah, it was an awesome show. Absolutely recommend it. Find it online. Go to London, watch it. I think it's going to be touring soon as well, so it's going to be going around the country. Um. I think Cambridge is going to be the nearest one to us. Oh, great! Or possibly Bedford. Yeah. So look it up. It's uh, it's really, really good. And, and oh yeah, and I and thank you so much to Jody for setting it up the whole night. It was awesome. Um, I think the best way to describe ghost stories the difference between stage and film, and possibly why why I might like the film a bit more. The stage show is presented as a as a horror. The film is presented as a horror, but is also quite sad. You feel a lot of sadness for the characters in, in the film, partly because of the soundtrack. And there's one moment in particular that really stands out. Um, something happens, and in the stage show, what's happening is accompanied by heavy, distorted, grunge, electro, rock, funk stuff. Like, if it was all turned down, it would be quite good. It's just like... All that sort of stuff. Whereas in the film, I'm going to play the soundtrack. This is Corridor of Truth from Frank Ilfman from the soundtrack of Ghost Stories. Very different. Adam's Film Reviews. Frozen 2, 2019. Far away, as north as we can go. Once stood an enchanted forest. You've seen an enchanted forest? Yes. It was a magical place. But something went wrong. Since then, no one can get in or out. Wow. Papa, that was epic. What would I do without you? You'll always have me. Has Elsa seemed weird to you? She... Seems like Elsa. There's this voice. Voice? The kingdom is not safe. Find who is calling to you. They may have answers. I'm going with you. Anna? No. Excuse me, I climbed the North Mountain, survived a frozen heart, and saved you from my ex-boyfriend. So, you know, I'm coming. That's normal. Where are we? The long-awaited sequel to the global success that was 2013's Frozen. Frozen 2 sees the cast and crew return to continue the story of everyone's favourite vaguely Norse family. The story opens on a flashback to Elsa and Anna's childhood, where their late father, the King of Arendelle, retells the story of an enchanted forest inhabited by the elf-like Northoldra, who share the gift of nature with four elemental spirits of earth, fire, 
wind and water. Long ago, when their father was a child, the people of Arendelle and Northolder met in peace, but something went wrong. As the two peoples fought, the spirits grew angry and sealed the forest in a wall of mist, trapping all those inside and barring entry from anybody else. Back to the present, and some time has passed since the events of the first film. Elsa, now Queen, lives out her days with her sister Anna, her boyfriend Kristoff, his reindeer Sven and Olaf, the irritating little snowman. Except, Elsa isn't all that happy. On edge that her magical powers might hurt those close to her, and not exactly feeling like she's in the right place, Elsa hears a mysterious voice called out to her. One night, she responds to the call, and in her efforts to track down the source of the siren, accidentally awakens the elemental spirits from their slumber. In no time at all, the spirits cause havoc in the peaceful Arendelle, and the group set off to find the source of the voice, and are soon drawn to the enchanted forest to discover the hidden mystery that angered the spirits in the first place, and just maybe learn a few things along the way too. I'm just going to put this out there, Frozen 2 is no Frozen. It doesn't even begin to compare. Where Frozen had well-rounded characters explore a world thick with lore and saw them fight against the odds to save their world in a high-stakes and interesting battle of wits, Frozen 2 just sort of happens. A man far wiser than me once said that a sequel should expand and explore the original, not dwell in it. Unfortunately, that's exactly what Frozen 2 does. We even see flashbacks to the original film. Like an afterthought, Frozen 2 just sends the main characters away on a quest that doesn't feel either earned or necessary. The stakes are lower, with no real danger for our characters to fight against. Worse still, the story is so heavily fixed on one character that it lets all the other side characters just meander about aimlessly. Kristoff, especially, has nothing to do for an unforgivably long amount of time. Anna, the fiery, adventurous princess, just feels tired, neglected, a bit sad. In fact, there's a lot of sadness in Frozen 2. All the characters come across as depressed in one way or another, just riding things out until they can find something, or anything, else. For what it's worth, the soundtrack from Christoph Beck is awesome, with standout tracks from both Weezer and Panic at the Disco. The animation is exactly as awe-inspiring and fantastical as you would expect. I just felt extremely disconnected to the story and the characters. But what do I know? I don't even know why I'm telling you this. I could say that they murder kittens and summon an abomination from the depths of hell and you'd still take your kids to see it. This is already a box office smash and I doubt anything anyone says will stop it. Is the whole putting us in mortal danger going to be a regular thing? <laughs> Oh, mademoiselle, would you like to have a film discussion? Oh, yes, monsieur. I would love to have an in-depth film discussion with you, like I do on Scream Bucket. Would you like to ski Antarctica? That you snowed under with work? Do you dream of a vacation at the bottom of the ocean? But you can't float the bill? Have you always wanted to climb the mountains of Mars? But now you're over the hill? Then come to Recall Incorporated. 
where you can buy the memory of your ideal vacation cheaper, safer, and better than the real thing. So don't let life pass you by. Call Recall for the memory of a lifetime. So, Total Recall. Yes, as discussed before, this was the film I chose from picking the word breath. Because right from the off, Arnie has a little breathing situation, doesn't he? Yeah, he does indeed. And a breathing situation which culminates with his eyes popping out of his head. Yeah. As he gasps for breath on the planet Mars. Yes. But oh, it's a nightmare. Yeah. He's actually in bed with Sharon Stone. What a lovely situation. <laughs> Way to wake up. So yes, Total Recall, um, based on a short story by Philip Dick, Philip K. Dick, Lol. who also also behind Blade Runner, Minority Report. Um, yeah, he's a quite legendary sci-fi writer. And yes, Total Recall was a evolution of that story, which yes. was called uh, Remem- We Will Remember Things Wholesale. Where Quaid, Arnie's character, was a quail. Instead, and was a as we were just talking about a nerdy accountant type, yes. an average built nerdy accountant type, not the buff construction worker Schwarzenegger that we were introduced to in the film. Absolutely, he, I think he's hooked on buying memories. So the whole concept of this film is that you can buy memory. You might not be able to afford to be a superstar. You might not be able to afford to go and have a ocean holiday or live underwater, but you can be given the memory as if you had been there. Which is an interesting, uh, interesting thought. Here's the thing: what I don't get is because he say if it is a memory, why would you then play out the memory in real time and wouldn't just be remembering it? Well, it's I suppose it's the same kind of logic as uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where you're you're as it's loaded in, you're your consciousness it. is living it. Oh, okay, that makes a lot Whereas more sense. Whereas in the real world, you'll just go, "Huh, oh, that's fun." Oh, all right, okay, no, okay, okay, I buy that. I think that's the logic there, but yes. So, this is a film directed by Paul Verhoeven, who might be, he's an icon of mine. Yeah. I sort of raised on his films. Hmm. Um, famously, Robocop, Starship Troopers, Showgirls, you know, classic. But Total Recall falls heavily in there. He was a guy who just turned up in Hollywood and started being given scripts. And I think he did Robocop as a... Eh, we'll see how it goes. And then he was typecast as a sci-fi guy. How much input did he have on in all of his films on like the visual sort of side and the, on the mise en scène, on the you know the construction, the the costumes? Because it's all very poignant looking. I think Starship Troopers and RoboCop more so than Total Recall have the same satire. They've got the same news satire. The same sort of element of um, telling the story, the exposition via the news, which yeah. is a great device. Um, and it's just very, like, inward-looking. Robocop, if anything, is a satire of 80s culture. Starship Troopers is a satire of militaristic, fascistic... Propaganda sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Probably more, if anything, possibly more of a parody of American leaning towards being militaristic than of the Nazis, which is the easy comparison. I suppose on that respect, Total Recall is perhaps a parody of selling the American dream. Yeah, it's kind of part of the Robocop thing, where, yeah, it's it's that 80s, you can do anything you want as long as you pay for it. Yeah, yeah. You know, that absolutely. kind of thing. Um, Total Recall has that as well. The news is a minor part, but it's still full of adverts. Yes. Um, 
But yes, so the film itself, what happens as we start? Quaid, so strangely, he wakes up from this horrific nightmare about Mars. And then literally in the next conversation he has with Sharon Stone, his his so-called wife, is, I want to go to Mars. Yes. And she's like, why do you keep banging on about Mars? Uh, Because... As we see when he's looking at the at the news, Mars is like a, a hotspot of aggression and people rebelling against the corporations and there's militants and yeah, mutants, and explosions and bombs, and it's a it's a whole nightmare. And he's desperate to go. And yeah, and what? Uh, so eventually, you know, behind his wife's back, he mentions to his uh, co-worker. He says, "Oh, you know, has he, have you seen an advert for this?" Um, total recall thing you yeah. know and the guy says don't do that it's going to muddle with your brain he ignores his mate he goes in well yeah so you are given options aren't you yes so he he's at first he's like eh, i'm not sure then he get an options of scenarios fly around to saturn go to here do this do this he's a bit like eh, this is too much but then he sees secret agent and his eyes light up yeah straight away mm. loves it uh, secret agent with the additional ego boost where you save the day. You are a top operative back under deep cover on your most important mission. People are trying to kill you left and right. You meet this beautiful, exotic woman. Come on. I don't want to spoil it for you, Doug, but you rest assured by the time the trip is over, you get the girl, kill the bad guys, and save the entire planet. Now you tell me, isn't that worth a measly 300 credits? So he sits in the chair. We start. They start loading him up with this information. They uh, they sedate him and then prepare the operation. The next thing we see is the salesman getting an urgent call into the office. Sir, sir, there's trouble. You need to get in here now. This guy, Quaid, Douglas Quaid, is freaking out. He goes full on army. And they're they've they've triggered something. And he's screaming, you've ruined my cover. You've blown my cover. Right, yeah. Apparently they've activated a genuine memory block in his brain. Mm. He breaks out, he goes on the run, and then he starts being attacked by people in the street. Yeah, and then he gets to his, he runs into his friend and he says... You went to recall, remember? I did? Yeah, you did. I told you not to, but you went anyway. What are you, my father? Come on, I'll buy you a drink. Listen, I'm already late. Thank you very much. But... <laughs> hey, hey, right hey, hey, come right down. Okay, bring him down here. Come on, move it. Let's go get that drink. What the hell is going on? Oh my God, his friends were in the protective circle to keep him from remembering. Yep. Keep him under closed doors sort of thing. He gets chased by them, gets captured, and then realises his assassin fighter skills. And in one of the most awesome fight scenes... I've seen him recent weeks. It's really, it's really good. It's fantastic. It's a minor part of the film. It's the, it's, it's the, it's the call to action, call to adventure, and it's awesome. It's brilliant. <laughs> just brutally kills his people, and he's, it's that kind of scene where he's got the skills, but he doesn't know where they've come from. Yeah. So he's like, ah. Um, he then goes back, runs back to his flat, finds his wife Laurie, uh, tells her what's happening, and then she turns to. So he's all alone. She phones Michael Ironside, which is something I would love to be able to do. Yes, we'll phone Michael Ironside. <laughs> which we will talk about in a bit as being the best slash worst villain. Oh, he's terrible. Fast forward a bit. 
he is left a suitcase, a metal suitcase, after he's escaped his wife and his wife's gun. He's um, presented with a suitcase by a mystery man, which yes. gives him a load of uh, high-tech secret agent equipment, which yep. gives him the means to eventually get to Mars. Well, he's been at this point, he's been tracked by Richter, Michael Ironside. Yeah. Because they've got a tracking device. And the first thing that happens when he gets the briefcase is it says, you're being tracked. Wrap a wet towel around your head. Right. And now you stick this thing up your nose, this foot-long metal evil gadget. Yes. Which sticks up his nose to grab hold of the tracking device and pull it out. Uh, And it's huge. And this is one of the first times we see the now legendary uh, Arnie head. Yeah. Which we see throughout the film, this... This puppet creature, which is so like... It looks like something out of The Thing, doesn't it? It's, it, it's Yeah, it's grim. And it's supposed to be his face, his head. It's so... Um, what's the word? It's like uncanny Valley, isn't it? Uncanny Valley, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Of this, and we're seeing him pull out this ping pong, probably bigger, size thing out of his nostril. Uh, Horrible. It's grim. Um he, he attached it to a, a rat. And then we, that's when we start to see Richter, the henchman who's trying to track Arnie down, how stupid he is. Who just runs around in plain sight, shooting wildly, doesn't even look to see what they're shooting at. It's, it's mental how bad they are at being bad guys. <laughs> okay, so Arnie manages to smash a moving train window and leap into it majestically. Um, Richter comes around the corner shooting vaguely in Arnie's <laughs> yeah. direction. And then as the train drives away, he doesn't stop shooting. He, should, he, he just, just <laughs> becomes a bit more half half arse, yeah. doesn't he? And he's just shooting other windows as it goes he away. Just, there's one shot he just takes to another carriage. Completely yeah. Yeah. Just, maybe, ah, whatever. Maybe this will get him. Might, might get a ricochet. <laughs> and later on, yeah. it's throughout the entirety of the film, this ridiculous villain is just killing innocent people by oh, the dozen throughout the film every character as well the goodies and the baddies just push random people out of the way and they always go flying yeah. and I love it every time it's funny people just go what <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes Arnie's directed to get Quaid let's keep it to the act to the characters uh, Quaid goes to Mars under the direction of himself his other self he is a secret agent yeah, two identities. There's that whole thing of him talking to himself. Hey, looking good there. Sort yeah, of yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he ends up in, on Mars. He sneaks aboard uh, in a woman's suit. Mm. A literal woman's oh, suit. Oh, a literal woman's suit. So how long do you plan to stay on Mars? Two weeks. Have you brought any fruits or vegetables onto the planet? Two weeks. Excuse me? Two weeks. Two weeks! And then he ends up in the mutant section. Yes. Which is, yes. By courtesy of, maybe some would argue, a slightly racially offensive taxi driver. (laughs) Um, But he arrives and... I was about uh, to say it's the 80s, but it's not even... That's an excuse. It's the 90s. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so what a world... There's moments in these Verhoeven films where you're introduced to a particular area Mm -hmm. and it's beautiful. Yes. And the mutant area is one such wonderful place. It's a very... what Paul Verhoeven films all tend to have the same thing as well, where things are lit quite realistically. Yeah. 
So when he first turns up in Mars, he goes to the Hilton and it's all brightly lit. It's all like, right, oh yeah, it probably would be brightly lit. It doesn't feel cosy. It feels like an airport. A bit tart in colour. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then he goes to the mutant district and it's all red and rusty and metal. Mm. Like you, you can really see where they are, where you are in the world. Um, while he's there, he meets the famous free-breasted woman. Yes. The most iconic character in the film. Yep. Her boobs uh, are more iconic than Arnie himself, some would argue. Absolutely. Uh, we've got um, Pink Nerve Head Man. Oh, yeah, with Nerve Head. That's an interesting way of describing yes. it. Um, you have um, the uh, Dwarf Girl. Yes. And you have the mother and child mutants who you hate. <clears throat> so... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if mutants of this fashion did exist, Adam would be massively prejudiced towards them. No, they're just gross. <laughs> I'm not prejudiced. They do what they want. Just bleh, bleh. <laughs> They are gross. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so, and then things happen and Arnie meets the girl of his dreams. Quite literally. Mm. Mm. So, yes, this is a film where it plays with the idea of there being two worlds. Is this real? Is this is this in his head mm. um this is particularly highlighted when dr edgemar appears he's the total recall um spokesman he's a doctor he's in charge of the whole program and he approaches quaid in mars saying this is this isn't that actually happening you yep. are stood in the chair at total recall on earth uh you need to calm down you're having an episode you need to take this pill and get out of here Interesting enough, a red pill, which is yeah, 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 um, and it all and he introduces Laurie as well, his wife. Like, we need, we care about you. We need to take you back. Let's say you're telling the truth, and this is all a dream. Then I could pull this trigger, and it won't matter. Doug, don't. It won't make the slightest difference to me, Doug. But the consequences to you would be devastating. In your mind, I'll be dead, and with no one to guide you out, you'll be stuck in permanent psychosis. Doug. Let Dr. Edgemar help you. The walls of reality will come crashing down. One minute, you'll be the savior of the rebel cause, and the next thing you know, you'll be Cohagen's bosom buddy. You'll even have fantasies about alien civilizations, as you requested, but in the end, back on Earth, you'll be lobotomized. So get a grip on yourself, Doug, and put down that gun. But he's so far gone at this point, he sort of believes them, but then he sees a trickle of sweat on Dr. Edgemar's head and kills him. Seals his fate. At this point, you don't know what's real or not. No. But you do. Mm. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't seen it, I mean, not a massive spoiler because you've still got the film. Why? Well, 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 why? Well, the way I would phrase this was if you want to know what's actually going on, Google it after you've seen the film. Okay. All right. It'll probably be a good idea to. Fair enough. There's an interesting thing, and I, I watched the interview with Paul Verhoeven, director, after we watched it. And there's a very interesting thing at the end of the film that changes everything. But yeah, see if you can find that interview. It's awesome. Um, the interview is really interesting, though, because this is Arnie after this massive 80s icon. This is 1990, which is just before he started doing all the weird comedies. Twins and the like. Yeah. And Kindergarten Cop? That was 90s, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. 92, maybe. Jingle all the way. Um, this was a film that where he... I think this was his transition. When Paul Verhoeven got the script, he was told he had three hours to decide whether he wanted to do it, and also Arnie's attached. Right. 
No questions. Whatever you want to do, Arnie's the main role. Okay. So this forced Paul Verhoeven, who's... He's done a, a range of things. This forced him down a lighter path. Right. Because Arnie's someone that... He isn't the best actor in the world at all, but he does have on-screen charisma. Massive on-screen charisma. You can watch him all day. Yes. And as Paul Verhoeven, he said himself, like he's just got a face that you just want to watch. Interesting. And together they worked on having Arnie be less robotic, and it sometimes takes 20, 30, 40 takes to get the right emotion out of him. But Arnie was all on board with this. And I do wonder if this is him learning to act was from Total Recall. Look, yeah, because beyond that, before that, we're talking Terminator, we're talking Predator, we're talking stone-faced yes. warrior. Yeah, Commando, he, doesn't, I mean, he shows an emotion in Commando, apart from no. rage. Um, yeah, really interesting. Um, Arnie was always that kind of guy, wasn't he? When you think back to him starting to bodybuild and work out, he was always, I'm going to do this really difficult thing no matter how much effort. I'm going to put it in. I am going to do it. Uh-huh. Obviously, eventually that went into acting and then his politics after that. That's always been his mind frame. So yeah. I can see 100% his approach to 40, 40 takes being, so be it. I've done seven days a week, five hours a day at the gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do this, no problem. Um, and I think Paul Verhoeven's one of those people who, if they've got something in their head, they will keep doing it. Yeah. Um, he also mentions that uh, towards the end, it, the special effects ramp up there's a lot lots of lots of happening and that was a really last minute decision because they just sort of went what else can we do right oh you want explosions coming out of the hills the mountains okay let's give it a go and they're not building this giant landscape of mars yeah like they've got back behind the scenes photos which are they're massive they're the size of a warehouse itself just this floor pl- and they just had explosions going off it's incredible the, spe- the the models, the miniatures in this film, really, uh, yeah, They're I love good. them. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. But yes, Total Recall, I would recommend it. I would 100% recommend it as well. Very good, very good, lovable early 90s movie, which, yeah, it's very enjoyable and very silly and very camp. And yes. For, in, in all the right ways. Yeah, and this is the thing Paul Verhoeven was saying, by having Arnie force him down a lighter path, unlike, I think he had a bit of shade to throw at the reboot which shall not be regarded. No, we won't go into that. Yes. Mm. So here's the end credit music from Total Recall by Jerry Goldsmith. Hola, amigos. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Bueno. Bueno. Flying gorilla. Adam. Rob. Uh, so Netflix uh, has a show, I think it's in its second series now, uh, or third, I can't remember, Toys That Made Us. Yes, uh, yes. Before they've done Transformers, hmm. um, other stuff. In this series, they go into uh, God, My Little Pony, hmm. and then the, the WWE figures that were oh, really? really popular in the 90s. But significantly for me, I'm sure for you as well, they went into Power Rangers. Hmm. Um, and they, had, they, they go hard into like the origins of Power Rangers and how it started in Japan with their the translation was transform i think so people who could transform into like super ninja fighters yes wasn't it the case that the tv series that we got 
they reshot all of the actor bits. Yeah. So it was appealed to American audiences. Yeah. But they kept all the Japanese fighting. Something like that. Yeah. So it's completely ridiculous. The mm. the transition's very strange. I didn't get that far into the episode where they would have described that because my mum was moaning at me to put I'm a celebrity on. <laughs> um, but on that subject, I wanted to ask you, mm. what is your like number one nostalgic toy experience from your childhood? Well, I grew up in a household where toys were just kept around. So right. I had all of my brother's Star Wars toys. I had all of my brother's Transformers, which I think were part owned by my sister. And they, I just inherited all of them. And so had the full depth and, of 80s nostalgia at my beck and call. This, you've talked about your influence before. But I, in my opinion, that more than anything is why you are the way that you are. Yeah, probably. Definitely. I mean, it's plain. So, through the window of Transformers, uh, I mean, that opens the window to the 80s. Yeah, yeah. And then, I'm sure your brother's film influence as well, different 80s films. But you, from a very early age, you have a love for the aesthetics and design of all things 80s. It's true. It's true. And I still get annoyed at the nostalgia wave that we're always in. Yeah. But, yes. Uh, also, Synthwave. My love of Synthwave probably comes from the Transformers movie soundtrack. Oh, of course. So, yeah. Um, people have often said I'm a generation older than I should be. However, that said, I still lived in the moment. Transformers had a had a resurgence in the 90s. They brought Generation 2 out where all the old toys came back. Yeah. So I was able to replace some of the broken ones from my brother's collection and that kind of thing. But then there was Beast Wars. The best... Thing in the nineties. Yeah, I think we. This is our sh- one of our shared interests. Beast Wars was a TV series and a toy toy collection, and there were some other things as well. I think the comics came later, but it was huge. Yeah, it, it was, was massive. It was a common thing of create a great series and have a vast toy collection to turn those millions into billions. Yes, in terms of profit, and it worked very well. And the thing with Beast Wars as well is that it is gloriously well written. Oh yeah, in terms of Graphics obviously dated the TV series, but I, the writing is out of this world. The Beast Wars started off as just a shameless marketing ploy for the toys, as all Transformers series are. Uh, but they, towards the end, they brought in Transformers writers from the old wave. Hmm. Simon Furman being one of them, who was the lead comic writer for the UK comics. And that's when it started getting deeper and more complex and more interesting. Because Absolutely. it started off that it was just robots, you know. And then there's good beast. guys and there's bad guys yeah. and they fight. But then eventually we realised that it's in the same universe as the original series. Yep. They're there for a reason. They find the original Optimus Prime. Yeah. And it just gets more and more like... Starscream turns up. Yeah. Ravage turns up. And ah! when Ravage turns up... Oh. I remember watching that with you in college, I think, and I think I squeed like a little girl. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, so one of the one of the toy moments in my life I remember is getting Optimus Primal and Megatron. Oh yeah, it's, uh, fantastic toys. Like so, Optimus Primal turns into a, a giant gorilla who can fly. He's got a jetpack and lasers come out of his arms and things. And then you've got Megatron, who's a massive, quite realistic T Rex. Mm. Big purple T-Rex. Amazing. 
I love you. And I would argue from, I mean, my Transformers knowledge is limited compared to yours, but from what I've seen of the other Transformers, the amalgamation of Megatron in Beast Wars is the best Megatron. It's th- the campest one. The campest one, def- without Ooh. a doubt. But he, yes. It turns out that he was a fan of the original Megatron. That's yeah. why he called himself Megatron. Brilliant. Stuff like that, it, it's really interesting. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, how about you? What was your finest toy reveal? Um, so Street Sharks would be a close second. Oh, I yeah. remember the likes of like getting Jab and Blade and Ripster and Moby Lick, a killer whale with a giant tongue. <laughs> Weird. But uh, hands down, I remember on Chris- one Christmas Day opening Dragonzord. The, Power- the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Green Ranger was badass in uh, Power Rangers because he was a bad guy and then a good guy right. and then a bad guy. But... He had the Dragonzord. He played this dumb flute dagger and Dragonzord would come from the ocean and fight Megazord or eventually afterwards mm. combine with Megazord to create Ultrazord, I think. And then I never got this toy. This Everyone has one toy they never got that they really wanted. In Power Rangers, there was um, a toy called Titanus, which Ooh. was a giant Brachiosaurus. Yes, 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 yes. I was about to say that. The giant one with the huge neck and the... Yeah. Yeah, and I've it, always wanted that as well. And it opens up and then the Ultrazord fits in it and then obviously they all fire laser beams at the baddie at the same time. And I remember the first time that appeared in the series, I was like, what the hell is that? Yes. Oh my God. I think I knew someone who had that toy. Were they rich? Yeah. I mean, that must have been a hundred quid or something. They also had like Scorpion Arc. They had all the giant Transformers. They had all the big toys. Yeah. And I was furiously jealous. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh. Incredible. I remember, I think I remember that moment as well in my great granddad's house. I think I watched it. Really? He's just this 90 year old man baffled at what the hell I'm watching. What is going on? Just quietly thinking about the war while I'm watching this ridiculous. (laughs) Oh. Do you remember Bulk and Skull? No. Uh, in the series, they were the, the dim-witted bullies in the high school. Oh. And they had their own theme tune. Yeah. Oh, my God. And they slipped over and everyone laughed at them. And they kind of were bullied by the Power Rangers. The Power Rangers were these perfect jocks that knew ah. Kung Fu. Bulk and Skull come on, God, I hate the Power Rangers. And then they'd fall over on banana skins and stuff. And everyone in the oh, canteen would laugh at them. sad, really. Yeah. They I mean- dressed up as, like, rubbish metalheads. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Hmm. Poor Bulk and Skull. Poor Bulk and Skull. Well, okay then. Yeah. Awesome. So let's go back to the show. On with the show. Okay, okay, quiet on the set. We premiere in three, two, one. You're listening to Screen Bucket with Adam and Rob. Humour is a very difficult thing to pull off in video games, often feeling forced, cheesy, or outright desperate. The most successful funny games tend to be either unintentionally funny, or by making entire games out of broken mechanics. To make a fully functioning RPG as funny as The Outer Worlds is an achievement that should not be thought of lightly. Throughout the 20 or so hours it took me to complete, I have to say the funny one-liners and visual gags caught me off guard on numerous occasions, right the way through to the end at times. Story-wise, the game uses a tried and tested formula that Obsidian Entertainment always do well throw an unwilling hero into a universe or setting that is unfamiliar, and through combat and dialogue, work your way up the political or military ladder until you are at the top, ready to kill the big enemy as the ultimate hero or villain. It is simple and it works. 
The mechanics of the game are incredibly familiar to anyone that has played a Fallout game before, with a few interesting little tweaks here and there to modernise the feel of everything. The graphics are unique enough to feel interesting, and modern enough to not look like a 360 game, unlike Fallout 4. It's all very functional. It's short, tight, compact, all those words that suggest it is a very polished little game as far as RPGs go. I didn't experience any bugs at all throughout the whole game, that's a huge achievement in today's game industry. The most impressive feature of this game though, has to be its selling point of be who you want, do what you want. Now, I'm not saying you can just turn into a goose and terrorise the neighbourhood, but if you want to shoot your way through the world, go for it. If you want to negotiate your way to the top, go for it. If you want to betray everybody who tries to help you, absolutely. And most importantly, if you want to be a lone ranger telling every companion that asks to join you to just do one, you absolutely can. But why would you want to with these characters? They're great, with well-rounded backstories and personalities that don't give you the urge to blast them out the nearest airlock. This game is fun. To a point. If I do have to have one criticism of this game, it's that you are basically doing the same thing from start to finish. I'm not saying this is a bad thing as such, it's an RPG game after all, and I'm not expecting it to turn into an NHL game halfway through, but the unique selling point of this game is the humour and the ability to carve out whatever path you wish. Now here's the problem, the humour is the same from start to finish, quirky and fun and slightly twisted, but the thing about humour is it is only funny for a certain amount of time. After a while, you start to predict the humour, and that's when it stops being laugh out loud funny, works its way through chuckle-worthy, on its way to just barely registering that a joke has even been said. I'm not saying that it stops being funny altogether, I'm just saying you kind of get used to it. And then there's the issue I had with the carve out your own path story. After so many hours, that whole uniqueness stops feeling unique because well, you're well entrenched into your story and you stop noticing the forks in the road as such. It's your story and so it becomes a little bit predictable. So to sum up my opinion of The Outer Worlds, I love it. Genuinely, I absolutely love it. I think it could be one of my favourite games of the year and definitely slides its way into my own personal games of the generation list. But all I can suggest is that if you do play it, don't binge it like I did. Take your time with it, spread it out over a few months if you can, keep it feeling fresh for you, and don't spoil it for yourself like I did. Hollow Dell Media's Screen Bucket with Adam and Rob. And that was the gossip standing in the way of control from Skins. Remember Skins, Adam? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh. Oh. oh god, I'm having uh, a really good party. Uh, yeah. maybe, maybe you're just not seen enough to kind of... Uh... No, I just was jealous. I wanted their money. Yes, yeah, same, same here. Ridiculous. House parties were not like that. No, they were not like that. No. Anyway. Anyway, so we're going to move into our top 50 list examination. Yes. Okay, so I've created a list which Adam is currently perusing my top 50 films. Some of them I might have forgotten, but it's more or less what my brain has churned out. Yeah, and we should point out these are our favourite films. They're not necessarily what we consider the best films. Yes, so you won't see the likes of... Um, on my list, I probably would have put more Martin Scorsese on there if we were doing best films. That there's no Shawshank on this list, there's no Forrest Gump on this list, because they're not my favourite films. It's not to say there aren't absolute masterpieces. These are our faves. Yes, absolutely. So, 
Uh, you've got some good ones on your list. Right, what do you approve of? I approve of Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Cool. I approve of... Uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot on here that aren't on my list just because they've been bumped off. But the ones on my list, we've got Starship Troopers. Love that. Evil Dead 2, obviously. Obviously. Uh, Blade Runner 2049. Interesting, we've both got that and not the original. Blade Runner, I mean, in another... If I wrote that list out again, Blade Runner 1 would probably be on there. I don't know. It's just, it's a funny one. I Again, it, I think it's a better film, not necessarily my favourite of the two. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, couple others got... Uh, I live and let die. Hmm. Hmm. I mean... That's not my favourite Bond film. It is mine because Roger Moore uses crocodiles as stepping stones. And True. that in itself is better than anything else it's also, ever. It's also got the most flagrantly racist American uh, stereotype in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, and it also has the best James Bond song by a mile, Live and Let Die. Yeah, above no one does it better? Yes. Unless you're an Alan Partridge fan. No, no, no. That's the better film. Anyway. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, the, the Shining, yep. Trainspotting's pretty cool. That wasn't on my list. I didn't think about it. But there's a couple on here that I want to question you about. All right, crack on. What the hell is going on with Darjeeling Limited? Mate, I freaking love Wes Anderson films, and Darjeeling Limited is brilliant. Is it? Have you seen it? I'm not sure I have. Darjeeling Limited is... Um, Owen Wilson and his brothers. Oh, and they God. Get, they that's get, probably why I didn't watch they go it. On, they go on a train journey to locate their hippie mum who's up in the mountains. And they're going on a train journey for India and they get up to all sorts of adventures. Okay. And I love journey films. I love And I love trains. And I love Wes Anderson. <laughs> I think he's brilliant. And okay. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. All right, okay. So you've got a couple of Wes Anderson films, Grand Budapest Hotel. I love a Grand Budapest is my favourite Wes Anderson film I think Ralph Fiennes in it is absolutely incredible yeah it's alright it's so good it's th- so comforting I think I prefer oh yeah I bet you're a Royal Tenenbaums man no no, no not that fast on Royal Tenenbaums Rushmore Rushmore I love absolutely love Rushmore yeah, Rushmore's very good that wasn't on my list though I, um, what was the one with uh, the scouts Moonrise Kingdom Moonrise Kingdom Moonrise Kingdom is incredible it's a boy scout goes on the run with a girl scout right because they're in love, they want to elope, and okay. it's everyone chasing them, trying to get them back. Oh, that sounds so Wes Anderson! It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, did you see Isle of Dogs? No. Okay, that's in, that's the most Wes Anderson Wes Anderson film. <laughs> um, aliens, not Alien. Aliens. Okay, this is for one very simple reason, mm. and people have been arguing since Aliens came out. Really, which one is better? Aliens wins because it's cooler. Aliens wins because they go to the planet and they have the really cool sort of armoured soldiers and there's more than one alien and I like that. It- yeah, I mean, plot plot point by plot point, it's just a remake of Alien. It's all the same. Alien, again, like we were saying earlier, Alien, I think, when you put it on paper, Alien is a better film um, and it has a much more shocking moment in it. Yeah. A much more iconic moment. But I like... The soldiers and aliens, I like. Yeah, you know. I mean, I love them both, but I, Alien does beat Aliens for me. Do you, are you director's cut or theatrical cut? That's the question. I don't think I've seen both. What? No. 
How dare you? Um, the director's chart includes the uh, Newt's family going out to the spaceship. Oh, and you've got all the colonies. I've definitely seen that one. You've seen all the colonists. You've um, you've got the captain from Red Dwarf is the captain of the colony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've seen the director's yeah. chart. Yeah, I think that's vastly superior, hmm. if only for one sequence, which is the machine guns. Right. Okay. That's the best most tense moment ever do you know what I'm talking about you're just out swatting me on a film on my list which <laughs> you don't even think is the best one so crack on <laughs> they've, they've set up auto machine guns yeah 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 I remember, I remember. and the, the ammo yes, is ticking down yes 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 yes. they're yeah. outside aren't they they've locked they've locked themselves in a medi bay I think okay and they put the cannons in the mm. in the corridors um, okay cool a Harry Potter <laughs> no brilliant love it and only one got on there, and that is the best one, Half Blood Prince. I don't even know which one's that. Uh, six out of eight. Wait, what, what happens? Um. Well. Uh. Never mind. <laughs> Professor Slughorn. Right, is now. the new potions uh, master. This isn't Snape the first. Pa- is this, pa- right. this isn't. The, this isn't the first time we've done our top fifty. Right. We did one earlier. We did a practice round, didn't we? Where this one got pulled up. Your number nineteen. Home Alone two, rather than Home Alone one. This, we're going to come back to this. We, we're going to come <laughs> yes, back to this are. in a few weeks. But um, <laughs> let me just tell you now, audience, that at work, I sent my top 50 out. And before that, um, someone asked top five Christmas films on our Twitter. Yes, yes, yes. And I said uh, Gremlins or It's Wonderful Life. And you said... Home Alone 2 and Love Actually. And he he wasn't happy with Home Alone 2. <laughs> now, and then at work... Um, my list got out. Adam sent it around to some of the people on his floor, and a certain Asher got really, really annoyed about the fact I'd chosen Home Alone two over Home Alone one as well. Yeah. Now let me just get this completely straight for anyone who's listening. Home Alone two is better than Home Alone one. If you don't like it, leave. Right. Well, I have no argument to this debate because I haven't seen either of them in about twenty years. But we will watch them. We will. In our de- December shows, and we'll get to the bottom of it, shall we? We don't need to, because Home Alone 2 is better. Well, we shall um, find out, shall so, we? So, yeah, but we'll, we'll move on. I All think right. That, that, yeah. Yeah, right. okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right, well, Rob needs to go and have a five minutes to chill out now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. What should we play? Well, we'll play, well, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas was on my list, so we're going to play White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. Nice. Hollow Dell Media's Screen Bucket with Adam and Rob. Welcome to Fortnite Schmort Night. Woo! So... Wes Craven's estate are looking into reigniting the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. <sighs> now, we have to go back a bit for why this has suddenly come to pass. Uh, when Wes Craven originally wanted to make the first movie, and I didn't know this, he had to sign over the rights as it wasn't guaranteed to be a success. In fact, he didn't even want to make a load of sequels initially. That only came about as a result of his loss of control. Mm-hmm. Um, so he lost the rights to a Nightmare on Elm Street, his own creation. But once the 35 years have passed this is the law filmmakers can reclaim the copyright of their work sadly Wes Craven passed away a few years ago but the right to reclaim Nightmare on Elm Street passed back down to his estate a few months ago a Nightmare on Elm Street turned 35 so yeah straight off the bat it looks like Freddy will be putting on his bladed gloves once more now Adam a Nightmare on Elm Street is hugely significant to you yes it Um, is I have to ask, what do you think? I don't want it. They've tried to reboot it before, and it, it's it's gone. It's done. It's no longer... Wes Craven's always been the guy who reinvents horror. 
Yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Scream, mm. most significantly, ignited the whole 90s. It's done. That's the 80s. It's awesome, but it's done, surely. Yeah. Stop. I mean, the, I mean, the idea that they could modernise it. Scream's also being sort of looked at for being rebooted. It's like the crows are coming in and picking apart Wes Craven's <laughs> filmography. Be- beautifully phrased. Go away. Um, I mean, what's next? Children Under the Stairs? Was that Wes Craven? I mean, anything. So it's open season, I suppose. I mean, now, when you're talking about estates and money, people people don't... You know, it depends whose hands it falls into. The powers that be, if they want to do it, it will be done. I guess so. It's like been some never-ending 80s nostalgia. Why is the 80s the most nostalgic era? Well, speaking of that, and you're going to like this even more... Robocop is coming back. No! Stop it! I know. Robocop is coming back. It's set to be helmed by Little Monsters director Abe Forsyth, and it's chopping the sequels from the timeline. Ah! A la Halloween, a la Terminator Post 2. They're disregarding the less favourable movies and firing off from the classics that made them the franchises that they are. It's it, why? Halloween as well. Yeah. It's just... Stop. Stop. Robocop is... I love Robotop. I grew up on Robotop. It's so of its time, and it's such a perfect film. Robotop 2 is not that bad. Robotop 3 is terrible. Yeah, it won't work aesthetically how Robocop looked. And I don't know it's because we're used to it. That robot, that Robocop, it just doesn't look right in the modern age. Well, they tr- and in the modern level of cinema, in the modern technology cameras have. It but just... they, they tried to do modern Robotop. Yeah, but it and stunk. It was crap. It was awful. It would have been better if it wasn't Robotop, to be fair. It did was did it did do its own thing, but at the same time... Yeah. Stop it. Stop it. There's a kind of return that we do like, and that is when original films are rescreened in all their glory. Yes. Um, bringing a film to a new audience in perhaps a remastered way. Yeah. I am talking about Gremlins. Yes. Uh, Gremlins is returning to cinemas this Christmas. Um, only the sixth and maybe the 7th of December in some cinemas, Gizmo and his horrifying offspring are scuttling back to the big screen in select theatres this festive season. Everyone should go, especially if, God forbid, you haven't seen Gremlins. Yes. Um, Stevenage Cineworld is... Uh, there's a 7 o'clock showing on the 6th of December, but there's 4DX showings at 1 o'clock, 3.30, 6 and 8.30, mm-hmm. Friday 6th of December. Awesome. Hatfield, um, get yourself to the Odeon for 8.45 of a standard screening. Go watch it. Yeah, just go just, watch, just it. watch it. Just watch it. Four, oh, four DX as well. I know that'd be quite something. Yeah, and I, I, I can only imagine what kind of effects they're going to incorporate in a film like Gremlins. Yeah, amazing. Um, moving on, we've been hearing more and more buzz about the Joker getting a sequel recently, yeah. which I don't. I don't. The only reason I don't like it, I'm not like completely adverse to like instant sequels, but Joker felt like its own beast it felt like it would really go down in film history as a solitary yeah great. I agree it, do you know one off like DC great but. what I would have preferred I mean Joker I did like Joker I'm not sure I want to see a sequel what I would have liked is that we get maybe independent origin stories of all Batman's villains in the same style I was just about to say that Tob uh, Tob Phillips filmmaker is uh, he was talking I, I don't know if this was before I mean, it looks like it's been greenlit now because Joaquin Phoenix wants to do it and obviously it's made over a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beforehand, he was talking about 
the likes of um, well, he's other origin stories of DC villains. So we're talking the Penguin, the Riddler. I would be very interested in seeing a Riddler origin story because I don't think he gets enough cred. Uh, yeah, I mean the only origin story for Riddler is Jim Carrey's Batman Forever, isn't it? Yeah, that he's just a madman. He's just a maniac. Yeah, they should get Jim Carrey back. Um, no, Penguin would be awesome. Penguin would be brilliant. Bane don't care. Um, uh, no, Calendar Man, he's actually quite sinister. Yeah, Scarecrow. Scarecrow, yes. Really cool. Yeah, we do see that a lot though. Um, but yeah, I think it goes to show really that where Marvel's strengths really do lie with their superheroes, and you know you can't argue that. DC's strengths really do. Their villains have oh, layers that Marvel just can't. Absolutely, with. Um, that's a b- very famous thing. But Batman's the worst thing in Batman. It's all the villains around him that make it yeah, so cool. Excitable, yeah. Like Harley Quinn, for example, she started on the cartoon and now she's a megastar herself. She's like DC's most popular thing, I think. She's every female and a few male, like Comic Con's favourite thing to dress up as. Yeah. Yeah, they love her. Cats makes me physically sick. Yes. And it's not just me. Cats, ladies and gentlemen, the, the musical um, which has been turned into something which we're going to see next year in the, in the cinema. No, maybe even this December. Ugh. People have been expressing outrage after cat form Taylor Swift wiggled her feline teats at them in a new trailer. I watched it as soon as I read this, the trailer, and she does wiggle her feline teats, and it is very disturbing. They all look very strange. One particularly shook fan wrote, I must say, Taylor Swift shimmying her cat boobs is one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen, and I've seen all the sores. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that cat's trailer. I saw that in the cinema a while ago, and I was deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm, I mean, to any cats fans out there, and anyone who's looking forward to it, I, I you know, I want you to go and enjoy. Is the there film. anyone? I think there are, Ugh. and we've we've already previously written off the furries. They don't like it at all. No, they hate it. Furries they, hate cats. Yeah, it doesn't fit into their category. Right, category. <laughs> yeah. Um, totally yeah, I don't want to dampen anyone's experience with my negativity. I, you know, if you've been to the cats movie, go enjoy it. But all I'm saying is it looks weird as hell. It's got James Corden in it. I mean, he's... Uh, That's two reasons to not watch it. He sucks. Yeah. Don't like James Corden. No, me neither. Um, Imagine having a pint with James Corden. Ugh! Ugh, ugh. So... Yeah. No, I don't want to. So, we could play a song from the Cats musical. Yep. But we're not going to play... The song from the Cats musical. What are we going to play, Adam? Literally as opposite as we can be, we're going to play the secret dog ending from Spooky Game, Silent Hill 2. Much better. I'm just a sweet screen bucket. Adam's Film Reviews. Dolomite is my name, 2019. Hey, you know, Auntie, I was thinking about putting out a comedy record. Comedy? You've been a singer, a shake dancer? Ha! It's real hard to break in. I'll do whatever it takes to get in. I come up with a new character. Dolomite is my name, and f***ing up motherfucker is my game. Oh, he's back. What'd you do to your hair? You look like a pimp. It's all pretend. I just created a character. Dolomite. <laughs> you true. Pull on that. Oh, that's oh, a wig. Yeah, that's right. Whatever it takes, I'm ready to do it. I got to be totally outrageous. It's filthy. You've got a product here that you can't sell or promote. All my life, people have been telling me no. 
Brody, sometimes our dreams just don't come true. A man slam a door in my face, I just find another door. I want the world to know I exist. You can write. This ain't funny. And it ain't no brothers in it either. If I get up in that light with my own movie, I could be everywhere all at once. Let's bring Dolomite to the screen. Taking a bit of a shift from the usual pattern on this one, A Stolomite Is My Name was actually released at the beginning of October, but you know what, it's so good I just have to cover it somehow. Starring Eddie Murphy with Wesley Snipes, Keegan-Michael Key, Craig Robinson, Divine Joy Randolph and so many other great names. Dolomite Is My Name is a biographical comedy film directed by Craig Brewer following the stranger than fiction life of musician, cum comedian, cum blaxploitation superstar and the godfather of rap himself. Rudy Ray Moore. The story begins in 70s LA, where Rudy is struggling to find fame and fortune through his music, taking turns to MC at a local club in an attempt to make a name for himself as a comedian as well. Unable to make any headway, however, Rudy tracks down a local homeless man and, buying him with alcohol and cash, takes note of his rhyming stories and jokes about a man called Dolomite. Reworking the material into a routine, Rudy takes on the persona of Dolomite, a cane-wielding pimp cliché with a dirty tongue and absolutely kills when he returns to the club. Blown away by the success, Rudy borrows some money to record a comedy album of the routine and begins to sell it under the counter. Growing in popularity in the black community, Rudy begins to turn his eyes on the next big project. To get Dolomite to the masses, to make a movie, a real movie shown in every city across America. With his friends in tow, Rudy sets off to find everything he needs. A director, a writer, a crew, a location, and cash. Lots and lots of cash. Their dream? To make a sexy, kung-fu-chopping, car-chasing, explosion-dodging comedy action film called Dolomite. I can't express enough how much I love Dolomite is my name. Like the disaster artist and Edward before it, Dolomite manages to create a mythical journey around a man with a dream to make a movie. No matter what challenges, risks, dramas and absolutely unbelievable barriers stand in their way. Dolomite is my name is both laugh out loud funny and better yet is truly inspiring. It's a feel good film that grabs hold of you and pulls you along Confu chopping any disbelief out the window. Eddie Murphy is outstanding as Rudy Ray Moore and oodles of charm on screen. Devine Joy Randolph as Lady Reed absolutely draws you into her character in the best way possible. Wesley Snipes is the perfect foil as well, delivering the much-needed counter to Rudy's blind enthusiasm. As the credits rolled on Dolomite Is My Name, I was grinning from ear to ear, and I challenge you not to do the same. Plus... It's on Netflix right flipping now. And, as of writing, the real Dolomite is currently on Amazon Prime. Catch it before it goes and have a double feature. It's well worth it. Great God in heaven, you know. Cut! Was it good as shave? Hollow Dell Media's Screen Bucket with Adam and Rob. Right, so I've passed over the reins now, Rob. You've got my top 50 film list. Yeah, and most of it is very difficult to argue with. Um, there's some absolute classics in there. I can see The Big Lebowski, the first entry to the Hollowdale Media Hall of Fame. Mm. 
Masterpiece, undeniable. Um, what else have we got? Starship Troopers, which we agree on. Rear Window. Yeah, that's the best Hitchcock. Okay, without a doubt. No, good, good, good. No, I, I won't argue with that. Um, Ghost Stories, which we were talking about earlier. There's a lot of horror in there. I like that you've got Dog Soldiers. Yes. That's brilliant, because it is brilliant. Um, Star Wars, we both went for Empire Strikes Back. I, I mean, mean, you can't argue. There's no debate. There's no debate. Um, what else have we got? Day of the Dead, um, which you introduced me to the other day. Fantastic zombie movie. Krampus, great Christmas film. Bo- uh, Evil Dead 1 and 2. No Army of Darkness? Nah. No, I, I, I would be the same, I think. Although I think I would pick Army of Darkness over Evil Dead 1. I d- really? I think it's because I like Bruce Campbell and he's sillier. I Yeah, I agree. But on the flip side of that, Evil Dead is an iconic horror film and it's yeah. very... It's actually what, uh, surprisingly funny as well. Yeah. What I would disagree with is, first of all, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Khan. Ugh. Have you seen it? No. That's the best Star Trek yeah. film. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you've got all of the Lord of the Rings. You can't judge me. I, um, excuse being me. A nerd. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Up here, Star Trek down here. Uh, yeah, I yeah. think I think everyone would disagree. Uh, no one would. No, everyone. No, Lord of the Rings no. is Star Trek Two. Raphael Lord... is the best. Some of the best sci-fi's. No, Lord of the Rings oh, is the most iconic quote. Don't care. Rubbish. Star Trek. Lame. Sorry. Yeah, but you're just wrong, aren't you? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Moving on. Um. I find it interesting that Fury has made the list, but we don't have any Saving Private Ryans. We don't have any platoons. Do we have Bridge Over the River Kwai? Oh, um, Bridge Over the River Kwai should have gone on there. An intro- I, I love Bridge Over the River Kwai. And I would have put the Guns of Navarone in mine, actually. Mine as well. was on there. I swapped Fury out for Guns of Navarone. Did you? Yeah. Only because Fury had a lasting impact on me. Yeah. When I saw it in the cinema, it really freaked me out. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, some of the imagery in Fury. The bit which sticks with me in Fury is when they the tank fires and then you just see a body part, a massive body part, fly up into the air and then oh. fall back down again. Uh, the sound design in Fury yeah. is it. There's a bit when um, uh, I think the Tiger tank sh- shoots at one of the uh, the American ones, and it. The ricochets and that ricochet noise is. Like, oh, I know exactly. I know exactly what you mean. I was in the cinema. I don't, what? Fury is what Star Trek film, uh, Star Wars film should be. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's what Rogue One should have been. It's that like, oh, oh my god, this is god. savage. This is awful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Brain Dead. I that probably would have been shoved into my list somewhere. Generally, I think. That's all I can really pick from yours. I think you. I think it's a very good list. I think it's a very good list. Let me just have one little scan, one more scan. So we mentioned we did this once before, and people from work uh, saw our sort of first lists, and people have pointed out that while I do have a lot of horrors on there, I've also got some very camp comedies on here. I've got uh, I've got Carry On film on here, Carry On Up the Kyber. I did I did make a little mental note of Carry On Up the Kyber. That's awesome. What a film. Very English choice. <laughs> I've got um, Wet Hot American Summer, Laugh Out Loud comedy film. Yep. Uh, Naked Gun 33 and a third. You had Naked Gun? I had Naked Gun 2, I think. Right, okay. Yeah. Which um, we have decided that we will be covering Naked Gun in depth at some point in yes. the new year. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Asterix in Britain, that's probably a bit of a wild card. 
It is. I put, because there's a lot of your, on your list that I put down to childhood nostalgia. And that's why I didn't argue Asterix in Britain. Because I'm sure it's something, a film that's very close to your heart. It's, yeah, it's um, when you used to have to pay a pound for a VHS tape at Hitchin Library. Right, of course. That's the one I got out. I think I remember seeing it. It's that, and it's also it the six of the best box set, Red Dwarf box set. It was the best episode from each series. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, see, you've got your Flash Gordon on there as well, very camp. Yeah, I like your list. Uh, Star Trek can do one. Well, that's wrong. You're wrong for that. <laughs> that's all I can say. Uh, we might as well put these online somewhere. Cool, yes, do it. Cool. Okay, so... As you hear this, we'll be putting it on Twitter, Instagram, and you can judge for yourself and leave oh, your little gonna, comments. Yeah, so much hate. And uh, just a, one more little thing. If you're going to mention Home Alone 2, eh, don't bother. Unless, well, you, unless you think it's better, don't bother. Maybe wait till the next show when we... Uh, when we... When I have my opinion and we can actually mm, debate it. Mm, okay, yes. all right, all right. And as we mentioned, Naked Gun 33 and a third, here's the Train Station Shootout by Ira Newman. Newborn. Nice. Ira Newborn. Hollow Dell Media's Screen Bucket with Adam and Rob. And that was fat lip by the magnificent Sum 41, who I am seeing at Slam Dunk in Hatfield next year. Oh, yeah. Yes, I can't wait. What a band. Are they still... I'm shocked they're still going. Oh, yeah. They had a whole... Well, they come back. They've, they had, a, like, the lead singer almost died, Derek Wibley, from alcoholism. And really? He cleaned up his act. Uh, and now, okay. apparently, they are brilliant live. So I can't All wait. right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, love them. Teenage nostalgia right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Speaking of teenage nostalgia, Doctor Who trailer. We should mention this. It looks really cool. That I was really impressed by that trailer. You used the word cinematic. Yeah, yeah, it looks amazing. Actually, the last series looked quite good. Mm. Did, did, did you see the last series? No, I don't like it. No. <sighs> I somewhere I got disillusioned with Doctor Who, and I don't know what it was. I think it was the BBC appease the masses kind of vibe you know like it was very pg mm. it's uh you can tell that it's catering to the american audience you can see the american money in that trailer as well yes um yeah it, it's lost something it's not it's lost something in the writing yeah it doesn't have a point to it anymore it was still there with at the start of matt smith's legacy and then they get Peter Capaldi arguably should have been one of the best doctors of all time, but because yeah. of the poor writing. That is literally just the writing. Um, mm. I watched, I think I watched all of the last series. It is good. It it does come across as very sentimental, but it also gets very dark. It It's very exaggerated right. now. It goes way up and way down. Right. So it's really sentimental and sloshy, but then really horrific at the same time. Okay. Which is interesting. And I think that's because it's it's trying to, it's mass appeal, isn't it? It's trying to be... Bigger and better than before. Um, yeah, but that new trailer, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to that. It looks good. Interesting, looks no Christmas special. It said coming 2020. Good. So, yeah. Don't like it. Let's do something else on Christmas. I don't know what. Let's do something else. Watch Home Alone 2. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. I, um, <laughs> I have to. I have my driving test on Tuesday, Adam. Do you? Uh, by, uh, by the time this airs, I would have found out whether I pass or fail. My practical. I'm not ready yet. Oh dear. Can't do it. Oh It's really no. hard to, to concentrate on the road. That's it. Cars and stuff. <laughs> Would it be better if you had some sort of filter on the windscreen so it's Mario Kart? Yes. And a button where I can shoot blue shells yes. at naughty pedestrians. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, that's that's uh that's that's it really. Wow. That's, that's the end of the road of me. No, it's not, I'm gonna fail. 
<laughs> we'll see. You'll we'll be see. fine. All right, nice one. And there we are. That's Scream Bucket 32. Yes, it is. It is done. It is over. Thank you very much for listening. Yes, thank you for listening. Thank you uh, for those who are subscribed to our Patreon as well. Um, you can find us at www.patreon.com slash Media. If you like what we do, then please come and support us. Everything we get is poured straight back into our projects and will help us keep creating new and wonderful things. Yes, new content for you. And at this moment in time, if you subscribe, you will get a Quagga's postcard signed and thanked. A thanky message and a signing by yes, us. absolutely. And just quickly, at work, we were kind of like celebrities the other day, weren't we? Oh, yes, we were. You were running, you were part of a hobby thing at work. Yes. And people were coming up and we bought some postcards in, which won't be as special as your guys' ones, don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a couple of people were like, do you mind signing it for us? Yeah. And we're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, I'll sign it for you. Yeah. I'll sign it for you. Well, nice. Pretty cool, wasn't it? Pretty cool. It just felt a bit weird when it started off, because they started before you arrived and it was like, oh, what? Yeah, I guess. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, yeah, Interesting. But yes, I think we're going to work out a way to pull a screeny on for them as well. Absolutely. But yes, more news on that when it comes. Definitely. Yes. Anyway, you can find us at screen underscore bucket on Twitter. You can find our other side of us on Instagram and Twitter at Holodell Media. And don't forget to also follow at North Arts Radio on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, please do. They are absolute titans of local radio and they bring quality content day after day, so please give them a listen. Yes, indeed. Cool. Anything else? No, that's it, I think. We'll see you come the festive season. Uh... Woo!